Well, good morning. Everybody doing good? Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Uh, I am blessed to be a father myself. I have a five-year-old little boy. His name's Weathers. My last name's Smith, so we had to come up with something creative because Eric Smith is the most generic name in the world. So Weathers is his name, and uh, we're, uh, I'm, I'm thankful to be here with you today and excited to see all that God is doing. We had an awesome first service, and uh, I went outside in between, and obviously everybody was very interested in the bacon. I saw everybody having bacon tacos and all that. But uh, anyway, thankful to be here and excited uh, to share with you today as you continue your series called Uncommon. Uh, now, Scott, Pastor Scott and I have been friends for several years and man, he is a phenomenal guy. I love Scott so much, and I'm thankful for his friendship. Yeah, you guys can give Scott a hand since he's not here. I'll tell him. I'll say, they clapped for you. They clapped for you. No, he, he's such an incredible pastor and uh, a pastor to pastor and friend to pastors, and he's been a great friend of mine um, over the last several years and has really encouraged me and helped me a lot. We probably talk on the phone once every week or two, and he's just been such a great friend, and I'm honored to be here uh, to fill in for him today while he's in Israel. Uh, again, my name's Eric, and what I get to do full-time with my job is uh, I lead an organization that I started called the Church Training Network. So I work with churches uh, that want to go to the next level, do coaching, consulting, training, and then I also work with a church where I live in Lafayette, Louisiana, uh, called Our Savior's Church. So I'm, I'm one of the pastors there and just really blessed to get to do that. Uh, the church there started, um, let's see, about 20 years ago, and they run about 9,000 on the weekend and have multiple campuses. And Lafayette's a very difficult context. So it's in the South, but not very many people. Uh, it's only 9% of the people that live in uh, Acadiana, which is the region that Lafayette's in, would identify as born-again Christian. So it's a very difficult context, and uh, the pastor there, Pastor Jacob, has done a phenomenal job. So I'm grateful uh, to get to be a small part of what God's doing there, and excited to be with you today. Uh, as I told you, Scott has had a huge impact in my life and been a great friend to me. And over these years, we all have had people like that, that have impacted us along the way, that have impacted our story, that have impacted our journey. We all have a story, we all have a journey that we've been on and that we're currently on. And as we think about our lives, we've all had people that have impacted us along the way. We wouldn't be where we are without other people. Unless somebody else cared enough to invest in us, to, to pour into our lives, to help us on the journey, there's no way we would be where we are today. The reason you're even in this place to worship Jesus today is because somebody loved you, somebody cared enough about you to invite you, to pour into you, to invest in you. And because of that, you're getting to reap the benefit of hearing the word of God, of getting to worship Jesus today. As I think about my journey, I became a Christian when I was 18 years old. And I grew up in Mississippi, and a lot of people in Mississippi go to church, but I didn't. I didn't go to church. I remember when I was a small kid, we went to church a few times, but church was not really part of my family rhythm or anything like that. And when I was 12, about almost 12, 13 years old, my life took a, a turn for the worse, and I started using drugs and alcohol on a daily basis and did that for six years in a small town in Mississippi. And then one day through, it's a longer story than I've got to share today, God revealed himself to me. And I began a relationship with Jesus January 23rd of 2000. So almost 20 years ago. Yeah. 
And what was so amazing is when, when I put my faith and trust in Jesus, he changed not only my actions. Yes, he took away the addictions I had and all that, but God started to change my heart. And a year after that, the Lord called me into ministry. But you know what's so amazing is the people along the journey, the people, the community. We're talking about uncommon community. And when I first began to follow Jesus, I began to experience some uncommon community, some community that I had never experienced before. Now, I had friends, and we hung out, and we had a good time, and all that kind of stuff, but the Christian community that began to pour my life was different. It was people who actually wanted to give me something. They wanted to help me. They wanted to see my life change. They wanted to invest in me, and actually so much so that a family, the house where I gave my life to, to Jesus was at Benjamin Quinn's house. He was a guy that I played high school baseball and football with, a very close friend still to this day. He's a professor now in a seminary, so that's kind of funny to me. But anyway, he uh, and his family allowed me to move in with them. And so the next six months before I would move to go to college, I pretty much lived with Benjamin and his family. And the reason that I had to do that is I recognized that some things had to change in my life. I was in unhealthy community. I was living at my dad's house. My dad had been single for many years. And when I was a teenager and started headed down the wrong path, I broke my mom's heart and I moved in with my dad. And I knew my dad worked 12 hour shifts. My dad had never really raised a child day to day in his home. And I knew, because my parents got divorced when I was one, I knew I could take advantage of my dad. Happy Father's Day. So I knew I could take advantage of my dad. I knew I could use my dad. Now, understand, at this point in my life, I was not following Jesus. I was far from God. I was using drugs, using alcohol every day. And so I knew if I move in with my dad, I can run wild and do whatever I want. And that's exactly what I did for almost six years. And then I met Jesus. And I was living in a situation where I could drink at home, do whatever I wanted to at home. And I knew something's got to change. I got to find a new community because if I stay in this I'm going to keep doing the same thing. Sometimes we think somehow if we stay in the same junk we're in, it's going to change. Listen, you've got to change your situation. And so I changed my situation, and I was thankful enough to have Benjamin's family. And I moved into their house, and I stayed most nights until I moved to college for the next six months at his house. And they began to pour into me and disciple me and show me what it meant to follow Jesus and what it meant to be a godly father and a, and a biblical marriage. And it was an amazing thing. But another thing happened too. I became part of this small group or this life group in this guy's home. His name's Bill Harland. We called him Big Bill. And Big Bill had me and about 12 or 15 other guys who were in my age range, you know, 18 to 23 or so. And he began to disciple us. And we met at his house every Tuesday night. And those relationships changed my life. It was uncommon community. It was people who didn't want to just use me to get something. It was people who wanted to invest in me to build something. It was different. And see, that's what biblical community is all about. It's about getting ourselves in relationships that are going to help us grow and that we can help others. And something that God taught me, and if you're taking notes, jot this down, that's unique about biblical uncommon community that we have to be willing to do in our lives. And that is community is only as effective as I am willing to humble myself and open up my life. 
I was at a point in my life where this new relationship with Jesus was found. I, was, I had gone from an old dead person to a spiritually alive person. Everything had changed. I had found myself in a new community. But something I discovered is if I'm going to grow, if this is going to work, I'm going to have to humble myself and I'm going to have to open my life up. Something that I had never been taught to do, I had been taught to protect, to isolate. I'm a man. I played sports, like I, I don't open my life up. But what I discovered is the only way you grow is if you open your life up and if you're real, if you're authentic, if you actually let other people in. And as I began to do that, God began to grow me and change me. God began to open opportunities for me to preach the gospel, which was really radical, thinking I never thought I would stand up and speak in front of anybody. And here I am as an 18, 19-year-old kid sharing the gospel. And then he called me into ministry, and I've been fortunate enough since then to serve in the church for the last 17 years. But I had never experienced anything like that before. It was uncommon community. As I think back on my life, and you can do the same this morning, the times that we grow the most, now think about your life, the times that you've grown the most in your relationship with Jesus was the times you were in uncommon community. I'm not talking about it was times you were in a small group or in Sunday school or in a Bible study. I'm talking about it was the times you were in biblical community where you had other people speaking into your life and you were investing in them and you were opening yourself up. And so often in church life, we miss that. And we've got to have life groups and small groups where people are opening themselves up. And you may be thinking to yourself, well, I'm not in a group like that. Well, guess what? Change the group. Begin to set that culture. Be the person that will humble themselves and open themselves up and to pour into other people. Because if you'll set that culture, the group will change. All of us can look back in our lives and think about the times we grew the most is the times we were connected. It's the times we were consistently engaged in the church. It's the times we were in community with other people. The times we didn't grow, what'd we do? We isolated ourselves, right? You may have still been showing up to worship, but internally, spiritually, you were isolated. You weren't letting anybody in. You weren't being real. We've all experienced that in our lives. But see, biblical community, uncommon community, is when people are willing, more, they're, they're more committed to others than to themselves. And we can all look at our lives and see that life is just better when we're connected. Life is better when we're in community. Now, you may feel safer because you can hide when you're isolated, but when you're actually in community and you have people that actually know really what's going on, that's when growth happens. That's when life change takes place. And we all need that in our lives. So what about you today? Are you connected? Are you experiencing uncommon community? I know Pastor Scott's vision for this church is to create a church that has small groups where people are connected in this uncommon community, a body of Christ that's strong and alive and active and engaged so that we can make an impact for the kingdom. Are you being that type of person? Are you connected? Because our natural tendency, let's be honest, is to say, I don't want anybody speaking into my life. But when nobody's speaking into your life, that's the first step to isolation and spiritual decline. But when others are speaking into your life and they know really what's going on and they know who you really are, that's the first step to growth. 
So if you're going to see life change, if you're going to see growth, we've got to allow people to speak into our lives. And men in the room, we're not, culture doesn't create us to do that, right? We, we grow up in a culture that teaches us individualistic mentality. And in America, which, listen, there's nothing wrong with that. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, it's on you and all that. And there is a lot of truth to that. If you're gonna succeed, you gotta be committed to it, okay? But sometimes that mentality makes us isolate spiritually. And we wonder why we get, so we think about this. Now, it doesn't get in the newspaper when just an average Christian falls spiritually and falls into deep, dark sin. But every time a prominent pastor falls into sin, it's all over Facebook, it's all over the news, so-and-so pastor fell into sin. You know what? If you really start to look, every one of those are isolated. They get too big to have other people speak into their life. They get too big to have other people who actually know them. And they begin to isolate. And as they isolate, they die. And when they spiritually start dying, the enemy attacks and takes them out. Well, the same is true for you. The same is true for me. If we isolate, we trap ourselves. So I was uh, watching a documentary or a special a few years ago about the redwood trees in California. You ever seen those? I've never physically seen them, but you can see there. Look how big those trees are. I mean, they are unbelievable. 2,500, many of them are 2,500 years old, over 300 feet tall. These trees are massive. I mean, huge. And when I was watching it, I thought to myself, these massive trees must have a root system that just goes hundreds of feet into the ground. I mean, for a tree that's 300 feet tall, how deep do the roots have to go to make sure that tree doesn't fall? But as I was watching it, you know what was interesting? They don't have very deep roots. The roots of these 300 foot tall trees are not very deep. But what is unique about the roots of these trees is they have an interlock system. And so all these trees can only survive with each other. One of these trees can't stand alone. These trees have to have each other because their roots interlock and because their roots interlock, that's what holds them up. The same is true for us spiritually. As I was watching that, I thought, you know, this is so true spiritually. We need each other, no matter how big we get or how strong we get spiritually or how tall we think we are. We need each other. We need an interlocking root system because the wind's gonna come, the difficulties are gonna happen, and the only way that we're gonna stand and sustain is by being locked together by having uncommon community. And so as we have this conversation this morning, I want us to look at Acts chapter two, verse 42 through 47. And we're gonna read these verses, and here's the way I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna read through uh, all of these verses, and after I read them, I'll come back and I'm gonna break it down, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you four things that this text really teaches us, four things, reasons to be connected. So Acts chapter two, verse 42 through 47 says this. Well, let me tell you this before I read these verses. I want to give you the context. Acts chapter 2, Jesus has just been resurrected from, from the grave not long before this. He has presented himself physically in his resurrected form before the disciples. And he has just ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And the church has just really begun. 
In Acts chapter two, Pentecost comes, the Holy Spirit moves, thousands of people are getting saved. It is an unbelievable thing. And then when you get to the end of Acts chapter two, what we're gonna read today, it's the foundation of the church. The church is beginning, the foundation of the church is being laid. And it's, it's in these few verses, it gives us more understanding of the church than any other section probably in all the Bible. So these verses are powerful and there's so much, it's so rich. And so that's kind of the context of what's going on. So Acts chapter two, verse 42 through 47, the scripture says, they, talking about the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. When you read these verses, you get this snapshot of the church, and it's such a powerful thing because it ends, and it says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We see this church of people that are devoted to each other. They're, they're committed to the things of God. They're seeing this incredible move of God. They're selling their possessions, doing radical things that are against the norms of culture. So as we look at these verses, what can we learn? Like, what does this mean for us today? Like, what does this mean for us as we talk about living with uncommon community, as we talk about being a church that's gonna make an impact for the kingdom, that's really gonna see a move of God happen? You know, it's amazing when I think about when Pastor Scott told me he was coming over here and he's telling me about the church and to see what the Lord has done, how God has used you how God has used the staff, how God has used Pastor Scott, and to see where the church is headed. I believe that your greatest days are ahead. But what we're gonna talk about today, I believe is key for that to continue to happen. I believe it's the reason that it already has happened. And so as we talk about these verses, I wanna give you four reasons to be connected. Four reasons to be connected. Notice what verse 42 says says, and, and the first reason is being connected helps us grow. I told you my story. It was through those relationships and this newfound faith in Jesus, those relationships, those family, the family who took me and the other families who poured into me, the leaders who invested in me, they helped me grow. Being connected, being in community is what changed everything. And notice the early church. Verse 42, it says, they they devoted themselves. Now, I want to pause there for a minute and just point out this word devoted. That word, if you're taking notes, you can circle that word devoted because everything else in the rest of these verses is built on that thing, that truth, that action. It's through devotion that we see all the other things we're going to look at in these verses. The early church was unbelievably devoted. Now, what were they devoted to? Well, the first thing it says in this verse is they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. I can remember the first time I read that, I thought, well, what is that? I didn't know anything about the Bible. And as I began to research and read into what the apostles' teaching were, obviously, at this point in history, there was no New Testament. 
You know, in the Bible, we have the Old Testament, and then we get the New Testament. In the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and so on and so forth. None of that was physically written yet in history. So you have this new church. Jesus has just gone to be at the right hand of God the Father. He's just, the Holy Spirit has just come and moved and brought revival, and this new church has begun. And what we learn is they were a people devoted to the apostles' teaching. Well, the apostles' teaching at this point in history was really Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tells us what Jesus taught. And the disciples, the apostles, they've been with Jesus for three to three and a half years. And so everything that they have are the very teachings of Jesus. And so the early church was built on the teachings of Jesus. Just like we have the word of God, the teachings of Christ. Now we're fortunate, we actually have an advantage. We don't just have the teaching of Jesus. We have Paul and all the other writings, the inspired word of God. And so we have a little bit of an advantage over them. But here's my point. They were devoted to the word of God. How devoted are you to the word of God? And I'm not telling you that to try to condemn you or read your Bible type thing. But honestly, how devoted are you to living your life in alignment with the word of God? This is step one. If you are not devoted to the word of God, you will not grow. If you are not devoted to the word of God, you will not see the things of God in your life. It all starts with devotion to the word of God. There's a new book that's out uh, called The Rise and Fall of Movements. And in this book, Steve Addison, he's an Australian guy, he studied why over history certain Christian movements have risen and why have they fallen. He talked about John Wesley and the Methodist movement, Asbury and all that stuff. He used several different movements. And you know what? Here's, here's the number one thing, and I'm not picking on the Methodist. I'm just, that's one of the things he does. Talks about in the book. But what he, what he does explain in the book, and if you like to read that kind of nerdy stuff, go get you one. But here's what he talks about in the book. He talks about the number, the number one thing that you see, and we know this to be true even outside of his book, but Anytime you see a movement start to go down, it's because they move away from the truth of God's word. Some of the more seasoned people in the room have lived, have lived life a little bit more, and you've seen moves of God, great works of God, and then you see them decline. And you can go back and you can look and go, yeah, they got soft on the word of God. They moved away from the word of God. In Addison's book, he says it's, it's based on the word of God, Number two is following the lead of the Holy Spirit. And number three is a commitment to the mission of God. You see, this church has a mission or a purpose. I don't know what you guys call it, a purpose statement, mission statement. Building lives that honor God. That's what you're all about. That's the great commission. Building lives that honor God. You're committed at all for Jesus, as Scott would say. Building lives that honor God all for Jesus. That's the mission. But the mission is only effective as the people are committed to the word of God and led by the Spirit. They were devoted to the word of God. I can't overemphasize how important our devotion to the word of God. Do you realize the effectiveness of this church is directly connected even to your own devotion to the word of God? You see, a lot of people don't get this. The body of Christ, the church is referred to as the body of Christ. A lot of times we think about a church as a building and a place I go to get what I need spiritually. No, 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 no. The church is the body of Christ. Why is it referred to that in the scripture? It is because the church is the physical representation of Jesus on planet earth. See, Jesus is no longer here physically. He was here. He has left. 
But guess who he left? He left me and he left you to physically represent him. Now, we don't have everything Jesus had, but God gives each of us through the power of his Holy Spirit different gifts, and each one of those gifts make up a different part of the body. And when the whole body is functioning healthy and everybody's using what God gave them through the Holy Spirit, the body is strong and the body is active and the body is changing the world. They were devoted to the things of God. They were devoted to the word of God. Not only that, it says, and to the fellowship. Now he's not talking about they weren't devoted to fellowship. We just had some fellowship around some bacon out on the front lawn out there, right? That's not what he's talking about. He's saying they were devoted to the body of Christ. So they were devoted to the word of God and they were devoted to the people of God. He's talking about the early church. How devoted are you to those two things? Uncommon community is devoted to the word of God and it's devoted to the people of God. A lot of us, oftentimes, we come to church and we think, we, we evaluate everything on how it helped us or how it gave to me. Today, you'll eat lunch around Father's Day and you'll have ribs or whatever you Texans eat. Some brisket. By the way, Bucky's has got good brisket, you know. I ate one the other day on the way over here. But <laughs> you guys will get together and a lot of times we'll evaluate how good our church was based on the performance of me. But the performance of me are not based on how good this church is. The, the basis of the greatness of this church is its people's devotion to the word of God and its people's devotion to each other. Devotion to each other is to give up what I want for what, some, what somebody else needs. The only way a church grows is by having people who have that sacrificial posture and attitude to say, I'm gonna give up. I really... I have this idea or this thing, but I'm gonna give it up because this is what it's gonna take to reach that person who doesn't know Jesus in Wimberley or this region. They were devoted to the teachings. They were devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to breaking of bread. Now, some people say this is referring to the Lord's Supper. Yes, I believe that, but they also say it was uh, referring to relationships, what we just did out there. They were committed to that. So they were committed to breaking the bread, uh, breaking bread to each other. They were committed to remembering uh, the, the body and, and, and the blood of Jesus through the Lord's Supper. They were, they were committed to these things. So here was a group of people that were devoted to the word of God. They were devoted to the body of Christ. They were devoted to breaking bread together and doing life together. And lastly, in that verse, it says they were devoted to prayer. Now, I bet you there's some people like me in the room. I'm a type A, get it done kind of guy. I don't know why it takes people so long to do stuff. But you know what? People like me forget to pray. People like me forget to pray. And without prayer, there is no power. You know what prayer is really about? Prayer is really about me saying, God, I need you. God doesn't need you to pray. I need prayer for the power of God. I need prayer because I need God in my life. I need relationship. And it's in me, you know, prayer is this picture to pray to something. Let's just think about prayer for a minute. To actually pray to something means I am humbling myself and I'm asking for your guidance. I'm asking for your hand. I'm asking for your clarity, God. That's an incredibly humbling thing when you really stop. Like prayer just becomes like this thing we just throw around in culture. But when you really think about what does it mean to pray, it means I'm, I'm depending on you, God. They were devoted to that. And sometimes we get so busy with life, and I get it. I've got a wife. I've got a kid. I know how crazy life can be. 
and we just forget. But we, we move away from the very source of our power. We move away from the very source of our relationship. Think about your marriage. The reason, what makes a marriage powerful is communication. Because we're all not going to be as good looking as we were when we first met, right? Some of you men in here, I'm telling you, I don't know how she's still with you, but happy Father's Day. No, but in all seriousness, we all lose those things, right? What keeps the marriage on fire is, is, is communication. Well, what keeps your relationship with God on fire is communication. The way God communes is through prayer. He talks to us. He speaks to us. He empowers us. And I spent a lot of time on this verse because I can't overemphasize. Everything else is built on this. Being connected helps us grow. We grow by being devoted to the word of God, to the body of Christ, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. As you evaluate your life today, are you devoted to those things? First Wimberley is not gonna have the kingdom impact it has because Scott Weatherford's here, because the music's awesome. All those, those things are important. It's gonna have the impact because of you because of you, because of the people of God being devoted to the things of God. Now, the second thing that we see in this text as we move to verse 43 is being connected elevates God's glory. Notice what happens here. You see a people that are devoted to the things of God that I just listed, the word of God, the body of Christ, the breaking of bread into prayer. And because of that, verse 43, it says, everyone was filled with awe and many Wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. This is the idea is everyone was filled with this blown away emotion of worship. They, were just, they couldn't believe what they were experiencing. Acts chapter two, the revival happens. We get into Acts 2.42 and we see this devotion. And by the time you get to verse 43, these people are filled with awe and they're just blown away by the glory and the presence and the awesomeness of Jesus. What made them have this mentality and posture of all. Verse 42, their devotion. If you come to church and you have trouble worshiping, it's probably not the worship leader's fault. It's probably your devotional life. You heard that? It probably has less to do with the worship leader and more to do with my devotion. No matter the style, it's more about that. Because you know what? Around the globe, there's millions of Christians gathering today expressing worship in all different types of styles, using all different types of instruments. Some of us, some of it we'd go, really? I don't know if God's honored by that. But it's really more just what we're accustomed to, right? It's not about style. Although I'm all about contextualizing to reach the people you're trying to reach, so don't mishear me. But a, a presence of worship is cultivated by a devotion of people to God. Because when you're devoted to God, you come into his presence as a body and you're just like, man, I can't believe what Jesus did in my life this week. I can't believe that I get to know God. I can't believe what he's done for me. I can't help but worship him today. It's not, man, I, they, they missed that note. Oh, that guy can't really sing that good or whatever. These people had experienced God and it elevates the glory of God and they were filled with awe. And the result of that is God was doing wonders and miraculous signs. John Piper says, God is most glorified in us 
God is most glorified. He is most worshiped in us when we are most satisfied in him. How are we satisfied in him? By being devoted to him, by knowing him, by experiencing him. When you're most satisfied in your marriage is when you're devoted to each other. There's healthy communication. There's healthy fellowship in your marriage. And that's when it satisfies you. It's not, the, it's not the other stuff. That's really what it is. Well, the same is true in our relationship with Jesus. We're most satisfied when, when there's devotion, when there's communication, when there's health. And that results in a culture of awe and worship. So a question I wanna ask us today is, could God, just imagine, could God be desiring to create a culture of awe here at First Baptist Wimberley, but we're all too busy to experience it. Like where when people that don't go here come here for the first time, they're like, you know, I didn't really understand everything, but man, those people are, they're crazy. They're like so devoted to Jesus. There's such a, a culture of awe and worship. It won't be done by having the best worship band or, you know, whatever. It'll be done by having a people devoted to the things of God. And when we're devoted to the things of God, the culture of worship and awe will be built. Not only do we need to be connected because it helps us grow and because it elevates the glory of God, the third thing is being connected creates unity. Unity. Being connected creates unity. Verse 44 it says, all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and good they gave to anyone as he had need. I mean, think about that for a minute. That is crazy, guys. These people are, are, are so committed and so devoted that they're selling their stuff. Now, let's be honest. I know we can put on the fake spiritual face today, but we all love our money. I'm not saying you love your money more than God. I get that. But we all like our money. If I told you today, Happy Father's Day, I drained your bank account. You would be like, we're meeting in the parking lot. I'm about to take care of you, which I don't know if you could handle me, but hey, just making sure you're awake. But no, in all seriousness, that's the, we, we care about our stuff. Something has to be radical that happens in our lives for us to give away what we like, to give away our stuff. Well, something radical has happened in these people's heart because of their devotion to God, because of the culture of worship, so much so that they were willing to give their stuff away. They were so united. There was a culture of unity. The most attractive thing to a church is unity. If you want to have a really attractive church, and the reason you married your spouse is because you thought they were attractive, there's nothing wrong with attractive things. The reason, the, 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 the thing that makes a church most attractive is unity. Think about it. We live in this world of just divisiveness. I mean, you, you turn on the radio, you listen to the news. You turn on the TV, you listen to the news. Everybody's after everybody. The political turmoil, all the things that surround us, it's just nonstop divisiveness. And you know what people are longing for? Peace. Unity, you know who's the only people that can offer real, authentic peace and unity? is the body of Christ. 
And so being unified is more than everybody just getting along. Being unified is about something bigger than anybody in this room. It's about the glory of God. It's about his church advancing the kingdom. And these people were unbelievably unified. Unity is attractive and it sparks something in each of us. And it's always in style. Unity is not like music. Music styles change and they come and they go. But unity is always in style. And people are longing for that. But to be unified, it doesn't just go, I'm going to be unified. You know where it starts? It starts in verse 42. It starts with a devotion to the word of God, a devotion to the body of Christ, a devotion to breaking bread, devotion to prayer, leading to a culture of awe and worship. And the result of that is incredible unity among the body. The way this church is gonna be unified is not by me telling you to be unified or anybody else. The way this church will be unbelievably unified and people will walk in and go, I want some of that, is by a devotion to the things of God. The fourth thing is being connected cultivates a move of God. Now here's the result of all the things I've said. Right, We've talked about devotion to the things of God. They help us grow. We've talked about this importance of having a culture of awe. And, and when we're connected, it, it brings this, this just unbelievable culture of worship and elevates his glory. We've talked about being connected creates unity. And the result of that is a move of God. Verse 46, it said, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. The temple courts was the town square in that culture. It wasn't like a church building. So they were coming together as this new church in the temple courts, right where society came out. I mean, just right downtown square. It's where Scott is right now in Jerusalem, if you've ever, or Israel, if you've ever been to Jerusalem, you, you know the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So not only did they gather for worship in the temple courts, but they did life together. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together. In verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let me ask you guys, how many of you want to see a move of God? Yeah, we, we all do. We all want to see a move of God. But you know what the Lord convicted me of this morning? Because I want to see a move of God too. And I wrote it down. It says, everyone wants to see a move of God, but few are committed to the devotion that it takes. Everybody wants to see a move of God. You can't find very many people who say, do you want to see God move? Do you want to see God move? We often seek God's hand before we seek his face. When really, when we seek his face, he reveals his hand. We all want to see a move of God. The reason that the early church was seeing a move of God was because they were devoted to the things of God because they were giving sacrificially and, and, and laying down what they wanted for what others needed. What about us today? As we continue talking about uncommon community, this is uncommon. This is not culturally normal. This is biblical. This is uncommon. Just imagine with me for a minute what God would do through this church, what he's already done and what he would continue to do if we commit ourselves to these things, if we commit ourselves to being connected, it'll help us grow. It'll elevate the glory of God. It'll build unity 
and it'll cultivate a move of God like we've never seen before. Just imagine with me. The question is, do we actually want that in our lives? Because God wants to do something in your life that's powerful, that's transformational. But it all starts with devotion. That's what it starts with. And when we do that, the results are these four things. Number one, spiritual growth. Number two, God's glory is elevated. Number three is unity. And number four is a move of God.